Well, Ziva Glanz is going to join us in a minute. Uh, she's on the phone from Israel. Uh, we mentioned a couple of days ago that Rabbanit Miriam Levinger had passed away. Many people don't realize how important a figure she is in modern Jewish history. Many people don't get it. Um, we're going to explore and, and tell you more about it. But but Ziva sent me, before she comes on with us, she sent me an amazing synopsis of what happened back in 1979. I don't know why I thought it was so much earlier. I thought it was in the late 60s. It wasn't. It was uh, in 1979. And here's, wh- here's what happened. In 1979, this is Miriam Levinger writing this account. Miriam Levinger of Blessed Memory, uh, Rabbi Levinger's wife. Uh, writing this account. In 1979, we were a group of 10 women and 40 children who entered the abandoned Hadassah Medical Building in Hebron. Exactly 50 years had passed since the Jewish survivors of the 1929 riots had been expelled from this city. The government placed us under strict lockdown. Our husbands were not allowed in and we were not allowed to leave. The conditions were dreadful. However, I had brought a safer with me that brought me tremendous comfort entitled Shar HaChatzer. It spoke of Hebron's centrality and how Hebron was the key to all of Eretz Yisrael. Surely we never dreamed of a day where there would be thousands joining us on Cholomoed or a Shabbat Chaye Sarah like we have now. However, in our hearts, we felt the righteousness of our mission. We were following the directives of our forefathers, Masei Avot Siman Labanim. Abraham acted quite deliberately when purchasing Hebron's Marat and for what was an exorbitant price. He too knew that the birthright established for his children in Hebron had spread to all of Eretz Israel, and he wanted to make sure it was one that was indisputable and everlasting. Hebron's centrality repeated itself throughout every stage of history, from God telling David that the eternal kingship of Israel must start in Hebron, to the Bar Kochva revolts, to modern times, when my husband, Rav Moshe Levinger, of blessed memory, knew that the post-1967 movement to resettle the biblical heartland of Judea and Samaria must begin in Hebron as well. Hebron's message is not one we could ever afford to forget, with the recent events in Gaza, Iran, and the whole world questioning our right to Israel, we must also hear God's message to us in these parshiot that we must be steadfast and confident in our birthright. God wants us here. He wants his children to return. If not, we wouldn't continue to see the success we have seen in Hebron against all odds. It is a message that all of Am Yisrael must internalize, and one of the holy city of Hebron, the city of our mothers and fathers, comes to eternally remind us. Those are the words of Miriam Levinger of blessed memory who has passed away. Uh, she passed away just a couple of days ago. And Ziva Glanz, who um, is a coordinator of special investment projects in Israel and for many, many years under the leadership of the great Judy Grossman, was the associate director of the Hebron Fund and continues to work with the Levinger family, which we'll talk about in a minute. She is with us live via telephone. Ziva Glanz, Shana Tova, welcome back to JM in the AM. Shana Tova, Nachum. So humbled to be able to memorialize a political and religious figure like Miriam Levinger here with you. You know, what's interesting, uh, and, y- and you've done this tour a million times, so you know the story very well. When you go back to 1979, she doesn't. Dis- the only thing she talks about is that one safer that she had with her brought her comfort. She doesn't discuss the conditions that the women, I believe some of the women were actually expecting, if I'm not mistaken. They were pregnant at the time. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 she doesn't describe the conditions. She doesn't describe the months Am I right? It was months that they were secured in there and not allowed to leave? It it was almost a year. And Miriam was a very humble person. So whenever anybody would bring up, obviously, the enormous historical impact that she had on Eretz Yisrael and Am Yisrael, 
she would always tell you that it was only because the kids were so excited about doing it, because she went into Beit Hadassah in 1979 with 10 women and 40 children. So she would say, no, it was because the kids were so excited, that's what gave us strength. Or she would tell you that, you know, I had it so easy. I had a chemical toilet when we went into Beit Hadassah, but the real pioneers were the ones who drained the swamps of Petachikva of malaria. She was a very, very humble person, but it cannot be uh, said enough that anybody who has prayed in Marta Machpelah, in the Cave of the Patriarchs, in Hebron in the past 50 years, anybody who's gone anywhere in Yudan Shomron, in Judea and Samaria, any Yeshuv that was created there was solely the direct responsibility of Moshe and Miriam Levinger, who led the whole Gush Emunim movement after the Six-Day War in 1967. They led the movement back into Yudan Shomron. And specifically, Miriam herself, it says, B'schut Nashim Tidkaniot, Nigalu Avotenu, Yigael. That because of the righteous women, and it was specifically Miriam Levinger leading these 10 women and 40 children back into Hedadasa, that is the reason why we still have Hebron today, and why anybody has been able to pray in the Cave of the Patriarchs, and anybody who will ever pray in the Cave of the Patriarchs is only there in her merit. And what you described in terms of her humility and in terms of her approach, as you've alluded to, she had the perfect partner, her by Moshe Levinger, exactly, you know, cut from the same cloth, so to speak in terms of humility and in terms of the uh, understanding how vital this was in order to build Eretz Yisrael. Um, the, the, the whole idea, uh, you know, it's funny, we, we, we assign certain names to the growth of Israel over the last 100, 150 years, right? Modern Israel. Uh, we talk about Montefiore, Rothschild. Uh, we talk about uh, Moskowitz. I mean, names that are legitimate, legitimate names in the building of Israel. Levinger has to be among them, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. In fact, in 1987, I believe it was, there was a, a poll put out as to who was the most influential figure in Israel at that time, and Menachem Begin and Moshe Levinger, Miriam's husband, shared the top spot. Wow. Unbelievable. Um, the, by the way, these efforts, because it was interesting when I read Miriam Levinger's words to open up this segment, these efforts, uh, you would think, as they see what happens on Shabbat Chayi Sarah, as they see the tours coming through, as they see the activity at Marat HaMachbelah, and of course the growth in terms of people who now live in Hebron, you, you would think they might have been resting on their laurels. Uh, but as you described to me off the air, and I wish you would tell our listeners, they and their family continue until today uh, building Hebron and making it as strong a city as possible. Tell me what's happening now. So first of all, it's just amazing, because people talk about, obviously, uh, the contribution to the cloud, to the community that Mary Moshe Levinger made. People also have to mention they raised 11 amazing children, each of whom is a superpower in their own right. It's a who's who of leaders now in all of Judea and Samaria. But specifically in Hebron, the Levinger family, the children of the Levinger family, they have uh, an organization called Harchivi. It's led by Yirat and Uzi Sharbaf, which is Miriam's son and daughter-in-law, by Malachi and Atarit Levinger, and also son and daughter-in-law, leaders of the Hebron community, Fadal Kobe, Miriam Fleischman, and they're the ones responsible for building and selling the apartments now in Beit Shalom, for purchasing and redeeming Beit HaMachpelah, for purchasing and redeeming Beit Rachel, Beit Leah. They have been the biggest force in terms of um, modern-day reacquisition of Hebron uh, for the past 10, 15 years again. So the Levinger family is continuing, everybody's continuing in, in their parents' shoes. They're continuing to make their impact. 
Miriam was involved literally up until the day that she passed away. Uh, she was active. She was the spiritual force. Uh, she was very involved with Daniela Weiss also throughout all of you done Shomron. She didn't stop for a second. And one of the most profound things that Miriam ever said to me personally is she said, I always know that I did something right when I see that there's three generations of my family now doing the same thing and living here in Chevron. Mm. Because that's how you know you did something right. And that always stuck with me. You know what's remarkable? Um, we as kids and then eventually as adults always heard stories and actually studied uh, accounts of great women in Jewish history and how so often it was the women who made the first move in a situation that ended up being, you know, one of great redemption, one of great success. I think personally, when Kever Rachel, and I'm sure you remember this, when Kever Rachel was in tremendous danger of being given away, a group of women literally went and slept, uh, had a had a rotation of people who stayed and slept overnight in tents as close to Kever Rachel as possible as a demonstration of support for Kever Rachel and its importance to Jewish families. And that, of course, you know, I believe was such an important part of what eventually ended up being. And Kever Rachel is not the same as it was to us who remember it the way it was, but at least it's still in Israel's hands. And, and here, the same exact thing. Miriam Levinger didn't just understand that we need a, a pioneering effort in order to bring, you know, Hebron, you know, uh, to the forefront in terms of an issue. I think she also realized that when women and children are the ones who are leading it, it's going to be much more effective. Leaders in government will look at it differently and with a much more hopefully sympathetic eye or certainly with a different eye uh, than if, you know, if, if military men or those who are, you know, ready to start fighting would be in there. And I think she realized that, you know, that, that, that this is one of the most important ways for women and children to be leaders, to show how important Hebron is and its future is to the Jewish family. What do you think? So I'll tell you just an interesting uh, tidbit of information that most people don't know, but it was actually Miriam Levinger that was a vital part of that core group of women from Hebron that also returned Kever Rachel to us as well. <laughs> she sat in her chair on the road there, <laughs> and she wouldn't move until they opened it again. So people always focus on Hebron, but she didn't leave anybody behind. She had all the Avot and Imahot in her back pocket, and she, she fought for them all. And, so she was involved in that as well. And I assume, and in terms of Beit Hadassah, yeah. No, I was just going to say, and I assume the Levinger family 15 years ago was also very dedicated to the cause when it came to Gush Katif. Hugely. Again, if, if we could spend an hour talking just about the Levinger children. They are the heads of regional councils. They're the heads of organizations. They, they have famous names. Each one of them is a superstar in their own right. So they very much embody the legacy of their parents, and, and they learned it. Where they learned the teachings of a who to cook from their family. They learned this in their home growing up. And people also should know from your audience, Miriam grew up in the Bronx. So she came to this. She was 18 years old. She came to Israel. She knew no Hebrew whatsoever. She enrolled herself in nursing school with not a word of Hebrew. And look what she did. So it's really a legacy to be, to be honored. Unbelievable. We should get the Bronx Borough president to, to make a proclamation in her memory, although I have a feeling politi- <laughs> politically uh, the Bronx Borough president probably wouldn't want to. You were, you were going to add before about Beit Hadassah. What do you want to say? No, so I wanted to mention that, you know, it's such a moving story, the story of Beit Hadassah, for those people listening who are not familiar with it. You know, after the, the Six-Day War, so Moshe and Mary Lovinger, they decided they're going to move for Pesach into the Park Hotel in Chevron. No right. Jews were allowed in Chevron. 
from 1929. From the riots in 1929, there was a huge massacre, and anybody who survived was kicked out by the British. And they decided, we're going to make our little one step. And that was always the philosophy that they always said. They said, we're going to take our one little action, and God's going to do the rest. So they rented the Park Hotel, and then they decided to stay a little longer, and they didn't leave. And then the government moved them to an army base, and that army base ended up becoming Kirit Arba. And that still wasn't enough for them. They said, we have to go back to the, the actual biblical Chavon. And it was actually at the Shiva for a three-month-old baby named Avon Nachshon, the son of the famous artist Baruch Nachshon, that Sarah Nachshon, together with Miriam Levinger, decided, we're going back to Chevron. And in the middle of the night, they drove into Chevron under the guard of all the army, you know, under the noses, and they climbed in the back window of the Beta Dasa building, which had been a medical building for the community up until 1929. And the next morning, the soldiers woke up to Jewish children singing Veshavu Banim Lugulam, that the children have returned to their borders. And the government didn't know what to do with these women there. And there was a special, uh, there was a special meeting that was put together in the cabinet. What do we do with the women and children of Beta Dasa? And a decision was made that they're going to wrap the whole place in barbed wire. Nobody goes in and nobody goes out. They were allowed to have supplies delivered twice a week. Their husbands were not allowed in. They had the most abhorrent conditions, and they made it work for almost a year. And like you mentioned earlier, there was a woman who went, in, who went in originally. She was pregnant, and she had to give birth, and she's in labor. And it goes all the way up to the prime minister, what to do with this woman who has to give birth from Beta Dasa. And they come back, and they show her that she has special permission to go to the hospital, give birth, and come back. And she refuses to leave. And the soldiers are looking at her, and they're saying, you know, what are you doing here? We've got to get you to the hospital. And she said, no, it doesn't say here that my baby can come back with me. And sure enough, they had to go back up to the Knesset and get special permission for the baby to come back as well. And that daughter was named Hadassah. And there's a story with one of the Levinger children, one of Miriam's children. He had a toothache. And he had to go up to the prime minister to get special permission for him to go and see a dentist for his toothache. So the conditions that they lived under were obviously treacherous, very difficult, but they persevered. And because of them, eventually, nine months later, the decision was made to allow Jews to return to Hebron. And that's how they built the Avravina neighborhood, the Beit Adasa neighborhood, Talumeda, and everything that we know today for the Jewish community in Hebron. Unbelievable. Just unbelievable. Uh, and, and, you know, I'm sure you've thought of this. You're a spiritual person. I'm sure you've thought that she gets up there uh, in front of the one and only. One can only imagine the reward that she is uh, enjoying at this very moment. Not only that, she's the only person I could think of who they say that Hebron is the Petach the Ganeden, it's the entrance to Ganeden, that every soul goes through Hebron on its way to the Garden of Eden. And we know that the, the forefathers and foremothers, Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov, and Sarah, Rizka, and Leah, they're buried underneath Hebron. Sure enough, I know, I know, because I know Miriam, she did not let anything go by. When she was on her way to Petach Ganeden, I know that she brought the Avot and Imahot with her, and I was thinking about it the whole funeral. And like they said at the funeral, one of her daughters said, make noise up there. Tell them how we're suffering like only you and Abba could do, like only you and our father could do. And I'm sure that she's the only one who could have brought all of the forefathers and mothers with her because look what she did for them. She returned their children to their borders, and I'm sure now that they're all advocating together with her for God to do the same. Ziva, when was the funeral? Was it Tuesday, yesterday? When was it? Yeah, it was uh, right after Yom Kippur, the morning, 11 a.m., on uh, Mukhla Yom Kippur. On Tuesday she passed morning. away that, that evening. When, when did she officially pass away? On Yom Kippur or earlier than that? She was taken to the hospital on Yom Kippur night. Uh, it was very sudden. She wasn't feeling well. And uh, she passed away 
right after the end of Yom Kippur that evening. That that also, as we know, and the funeral is, was the next morning. That also, as we know, is a tremendous privilege. I mean, to to have all one's sins forgiven and then leave this world. I mean, that that's not a coincidence when you think of someone like her. Not at all. Unbelievable. Ziva Glanz helping us remember the amazing and incredible Rabbanit Miriam Levinger. Um, next time you're in Chevron, I hope that this conversation has helped in terms of making your visit even more meaningful with all the different things that Ziva just told us. Ziva coordinates special investment projects in Israel, works with the uh, Levinger children with Harchivi, reclaiming parts of Chevron and building the city of Chevron, and for many, many years was a um, superstar, as associate director of the Chevron Fund under the direction of the ultimate superstar, the great Judy Grossman, who we know so well, and we send best regards to. Aziva uh, Tadarabag, Martov, and thanks so much for doing this this morning. Thank you for everything, Nachum. More coming up. It's Thursday. It's JM in the AM.